The connection between big tobacco and processed foods, most of which are marketed to us as we were kids and continue to be marketed to your children. Is there a connection? What is that connection? Joining us is Dr. Tara Fazzino, the lead author of the new study and an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Kansas. This was uh, originally an addiction study, right? Uh, yes, we were interested, and it's published in Addiction, to look at um, whether tobacco companies were involved with creating um, and disseminating hyperpalatable foods into our food supply. And define hyperpalatable. Certainly. Hyperpalatable foods contain combinations of nutrients um, that together enhance a food's palatability, so fat sugar, sodium, and or carbohydrates, and they can have an effect that makes them extremely um, rewarding to consume, and that's different than um, the uh, nutrients that typically occur in nature, and so they can be difficult to stop eating. So 50, 60 years ago, Philip Morris and R.J. Reynolds acquired Kraft, General Foods, and Nabisco, and they put what they know into action to make these type of foods almost as desirable as a cigarette that once you pick them up, you can't put them down. (laughs) What we found was in the 80s, they really leaned into the food supply and acquired a lot of these major food brands like Kraft and Nabisco. Um, And we found that they were um, um, much more likely to sell foods that during that time that were hyper palatable relative to the same types of foods um, that were sold by food companies that were not owned by a parent tobacco brand. You know, there are so many other countries that consume cigarettes, I would imagine, at the rate we do or even even larger consumption like China and, you know, countries in Europe, and they don't see the obesity rates that we do in this country. Is there a link? Obviously, we know there's a link to processed foods and obesity, but is there any evidence that shows that these big tobacco companies were using, you know, certain formulations to create almost an addiction to these foods? The purpose of our looking at hyperpalatable foods is because they have these combinations of nutrients that can make them um, almost irresistible to put down. And so that's why we were interested in whether the tobacco companies were kind of selectively involved in, in their production. Um, and so what we found is that it, it appeared that for the time that the tobacco companies dominated our food supply, which was from the 80s to early 2000s, um, that they did seem to be selectively um, promoting the foods high in fat and sodium, um, like a lot of our meals, um, frozen dinners, um, hot dogs, that type of thing, as well as um, foods that were high in carbohydrates and sodium, like a lot of our snacks, like crackers, Ritz, et cetera. And originally that was marketed to children. Much of it is again in 1960s or some point in the 60s. Didn't R.J. Reynolds launch a project to develop sugary drinks um, that involved market research on children? Yes, this was a study um, that was published before our study. And yes, they found that um, they entered the market in the 60s and first started with the sugary drinks. And um, so what we found was that later in the 80s when um, they expanded into the market with the food supply overall. Um, and so that's why we looked at the foods. 
This is Dr. Tara Fazzino, lead author of the new study and assistant uh, professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Kansas. It's a link between today's unhealthy foods and big tobacco. And John Williams, who hosts a midday show, said, well, you know, isn't that personal choice? Can't you just put it down? I mean, can't you walk away? And I pointed out that what they have found now through the research and the use of injectables drugs to help you lose weight, that there is something that leads some people to eat more than what is healthy for them, and it's not necessarily based on just choice. I think that the premise that we have, you know, sort of full regulation and full choice in the matter um, is a little bit of a risky assumption. These foods, um, in some ways, have been designed to make them difficult to stop eating, um, so they can kind of um, facilitate us at eating more than we even consciously intend to. Um, so I, I kind of question whether whether we could be considered to have kind of full choice um, with these foods saturating our food supply. I was interested in one of the articles I was reading, how they went from honey-made honeycomb graham snacks to snack wells and that snack wells were you know just selling out in stores across the country Mm -hmm. because people were like oh my gosh this is low fat it's fat free was it Mm -hmm. well um we have found we i can't speak to snack wells specifically although that was certainly among the brands um that we analyzed um but what we have found from our prior research is that um, foods, when they are tend to be marketed as um, healthier because they have reduced fat or reduced sugar, um, it's oftentimes that they are still classified as hyperpalatable because um, because companies can increase the levels of sodium or another nutrient um, that may not be the focus of the the health reduction claim. And because you are into psychology, do people eat more of those types of things because they are labeled low fat or diet or, you know, for weight conscious consumers when in fact they're really not any better than if you just ate a honey gram graham cracker? I think it depends on the person. For some people, the low or reduced or health claims can be important. Um, but then I think in a separate issue or a separate but combined issue there is that these foods can be labeled as such, but then still have some combination of these palatability related nutrients that can still make them difficult to stop eating. So in your study, did you find that there there was, I just want to cap it off here, there was a connection between mm-hmm. big tobacco acquiring these companies and using what they knew to make foods that were I don't know, fill in the blank, irresistible. You call them hyperpalatable, but pretty much something you can't put down. Yes, we found that our um, our evidence indicates that U.S. tobacco companies may have played a role in shifting our current food environment towards greater hyperpalatability. And what now? Are they going to react? Is are, are any of these big corporations <laughs> reacting to your report? Are they saying that's false or... Are they sweeping it under the rug? Or are they agreeing with it? Um, no response thus far, but <laughs> I think that um, <laughs> from here, that. I think that what we can do about our environment is, is it's not inevitable. I think really with the risks to public health, I think, um, you know, we need to start looking at regulation of these products in the same way that 
um, the tobacco companies ultimately incurred regulation for their um, for their tobacco and cigarette related products. Interesting. Thank you so much for joining us, Doctor. Thank you, Doctor Tara Vazino, assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Kansas, and the lead author of that study. Steve's news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. WGN.